At the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down, take some time off, and watch some football. Game-winning touchdowns on two-minute drives, running backs racing down the sidelines with no one to stop them. There's nothing else like the NFL, and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. So do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sports book. Don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on, and mybookie.ag is the best in the business. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate this offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Forfeit the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame. Put your name to shame, cover up your face. You can't run the race, the pace is too fast, you just won't last. Welcome to your Thursday edition of the Locked On Bucks podcast. I am your host, David Harrison. And since it's Thursday, that means I'm joined, of course, by Evan Winter, both of us from BucksNation.com. Follow Evan on Twitter at Evan underscore Winter. Follow me on Twitter at DH82 underscore Bucks. Follow the website BucksNation.com at Bucks underscore Nation. And follow the show at Locked on Bucks. Uh, we've got a jam-packed episode for the good people out there today. Um, so jam-packed that we've actually changed the lineup of this episode, like what, two or three times, because there's actually so much going on for a Wednesday that we just we had to, to mix it up and shuffle it up. And the first thing we're going to start off with, of course, is... Because there's not a week that can go by in Buccaneers land where we don't talk about Jameis Winston. And Bruce Arians was asked about his quarterback today and was asked about whether or not he would recommend to team management ownership that they extend Jameis Winston long-term, give him a long-term deal, what have you. And his answer was, and I'm going to quote Jenna Lane's ESPN article that she put up. And her she quoted him as saying, I'm going to pass on that one. I'm going to wait until the end of December. She went on to say that he said that Coach Arian said there's been really, really, really good as three reallys, and there's been some really, really bad two reallys. I don't know if that makes a difference. And then he said, I'm going to pass until it's over, and then we'll make a decision. Yeah. So a lot of people are making a lot of those comments. Evan, what do you make of those comments? Uh, they're very interesting. Um, obviously, all we can do is speculate on the comments, but at the same time, how can you not speculate on these comments? Uh, Bruce Arians was pretty adamant about why he came out of retirement to come to Tampa Bay and coach his team. Obviously, A, his health was improved. B, he just missed football. But and this is a direct quote from whenever um, whenever he first stepped up to the podium, whenever he was first hired back in January. And he said, and this is an exact quote, there's three things or there's three keys to winning this league, ownership, general manager, and head coach combination. Then when you got a quarterback, that's a pretty good start. So Arians was already committing to Jameis Winston back in January. Um, we even heard him say, you know, he, we've heard him defend over defend Winston over multiple times over the season, over the course of the season. And at the same time, we know, I mean, we just know that that Arians is a JW guy, at least until now, these recent comments. And I find it very interesting. Yeah, it was kind of a odd question saying if you had to sit down today, but Jenna contextualized it very well, I feel like, in her piece, saying that Arians was very committed to Jay, uh, Jameis Winston 
over the course of the summer, over the offseason. Again, like that quote I just read to y'all. So it's very strange that all of a sudden he's saying that we I want to wait to the end of December and see what I've got uh what I've got going on. Yeah, no, I mean all of that makes sense. And you know, can I, I can I ask you a question? Because I know it's happened to me before. Have you ever gone to a store to buy one thing and walked out with a completely different thing? Oh yeah, that's American way, I, I feel like. <laughs> exactly. So I kind of feel like that's what could happen with Bruce Arians. Like Bruce Arians came to Tampa and he entered the building saying, I'm going to take Jameis Winston. We're going to take Jameis Winston and this team and we're going to turn it into this. We've already established that this team apparently was not what Bruce Arians thought it was no. when he inherited it. And then with the pieces that he brought in along with Jason Light to improve it, uh, so to speak, that's already been established. So it's possible that Bruce Arians came in to one buck saying, here's what I see that I, that I'm, I'm coming into the doors to get this. And, and Jameis Winston's a big part of that. But then once he got into the building, which would be the store in our analogy, he realized that nah, maybe I don't want that. Maybe I don't need that. And that could be what's happening here. But to be honest with you, Evan, I honestly think this is a whole lot of nothing to be, to be completely honest. What I, what I think is that this is, at best, a motivational tactic, and I mean that in, you know, Bruce Arians has been on record also saying that he doesn't feel like a quarterback can thrive when they're constantly looking over their shoulder wondering if the backup is about to take their place. Look at Nick Foles in Jacksonville. I'm not saying that without Gardner Minshew sitting on the sideline, without social media and the fan base clamoring for the mustache hero that he would have played better, but I'm just saying maybe having Gardner Minshew on the sideline didn't necessarily uh, help Nick Foles in, in that situation. Not necessarily saying it's right or making an excuse for him, whatever, whatever, but it, it kind of draws to that point. And Bruce is, is is in that vein, but at the same time, there's still four games left in the season. There's still a quarter of the season. Like we're only 75% of the way through to the finish line. And I feel like Bruce Arians, being kind of the tactician that he is and the smart, experienced coach that he is, knows that a lot of stuff can happen in four weeks. Like in these last four weeks, Jameis Winston could very easily look like a Hall of Famer and he could very, very, very easily look like an undrafted rookie because we've seen both. And that's what Bruce was, uh, you know, was pertaining to with the really, really, really good and the really, really bad. Which one are we going to see? And a lot of that has comes into it. And then I think a little bit of and that's that's the that's kind of like the, the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is Bruce got asked the question and was like, eh, I'm not really ready to answer that because wasn't expecting that question. So I'm just going to dodge that real quick. Um, it's campaign season. Maybe he's taking some notes and he's going to move on. And he really didn't answer the question because he doesn't have to. And he'll come back later. So I don't know which one it is, but I really don't feel like it's a sign that he's not necessarily behind Winston. I feel like it's more of a sign that I don't want this kid to think or to know right now that I'm with him for 2020. I want him to finish 2019 worried about 2019. And if Bruce comes out and says, no, I don't want him for 2020. Well, I mean, that's going to that's going to impact the psyche of James Winston. Remember, Coach Arians did just mention a couple weeks ago that he's learned a lot about sports psychology. Right. So this could be a little bit of that learning in, in, in action. Uh, if he says, yes, I'm good with him for the rest of the season. Well, I mean, I think Jameis is a competitor enough. It's not going to like deflate his, his, or you know, drain his gas tank by any means, but you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's some gamesmanship in there. Most people say Bruce Arians is a pretty straight shooter, so you can take it for face value, but that's just kind of where I'm sitting on it. 
Well, here's three three real quick things too before we head into the next segment. Um, one, I, I mean, coaches are egomaniacs. We know that too too well by paying attention to the NFL. So it's easy to believe that coaching hubris uh, would allow Bruce Arians to think that he could just come right in and fix Jameis in year one. I mean, that's kind of natural. We kind of expect that from quarterback or from coaches. So to an extent, I don't really blame him too much for coming in and just initially thinking that. Uh, second off, I wonder how much of this is a shock factor with him at being previously three and seven. Now, obviously, they're five and seven, but I don't think he's ever been three and seven with a squad um, ever before and facing playoff elimination this early in his coaching career. I could be wrong on that, but mm-hmm. you know, I wonder how much of that plays into this as well. And then last off, and this is coming from the same press conference that I quote earlier, um, this I'm with you, David. I think at the end of the day, this isn't really that much to really hold that it doesn't hold that much water, it doesn't hold that much weight, but it's still there's still interesting comments. However, listen to this exact quote from Arians during that exact press conference that I was referring to earlier. And this is referring to the Tampa Bay situation as of 2019. And this is mm-hmm. a direct quote. This situation is much easier, I believe. When I walked into Arizona in 2013, I added the in 2013 part, we had no quarterbacks. Guess who was on the Arizona Cardinals roster in 2013? Carson Palmer. So, I mean, yeah. Was he referring to – because didn't he bring Carson Palmer to Arizona? Oh, yeah, he did, but at the same so time... I wonder if he was I mean, talking about like when he got there, that's why he brought cars. That's a yeah, good point. Yeah, and it says Arizona had yet to trade for Carson Palmer or sign backup quarterback Drew Stanton, but at the okay. same time... Carson would still be brought into a new situation, just like right. Jameis would be brought yeah. into a new situation this year. See what I'm saying? Oh, most definitely. And and many people have said that learning a new system, a new scheme, especially as a quarterback, is basically like learning a new language. And I don't care how long you've been speaking whatever language you were you were speaking before, learning a new one is not going to be an easy process. Um, yeah, I mean, this team, like Jameis Winston himself, and I think we've all pretty much said this at some point in time, is is such an enigma. Because he is like yeah. he's got moments of Hall of Fame potential and he's got moments of cut him now and don't even let him get on the team playing <laughs> back to the home, you know, back to your home city. And this Bruce, team is Bruce is living the enigma, man. Bruce is living the enigma. Yeah, because I mean, you look at this like I almost look at this as a five and seven or as a seven and five football team in a five and seven body. body. You know what I, mean? Yeah. Cause, cause, <laughs> I mean, you look at the Matt Gay kick against the Giants, you look at. I mean, pick a game, San Francisco, uh, you, you got multiple, I mean, Seattle, like San Francisco and Tennessee. Seattle, you can argue that they're one play away. Tennessee, I think you're probably like two or three plays away from getting a win there. So, I mean, this team with just a couple of sways of the, of the crossbar could easily be seven and five, eight and four right now going to the last four games of the year, but they sit at five and seven because of the way that things have actually gone. And I think it's kind of a, kind of a, re- a micro representation of Jameis Winston and kind of the embodiment of that, just kind of that up and down back and forth. Cause I mean, honestly, man, like if you look at it, I mean, if, if, if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the giants, they string together three straight wins. If they string together three straight wins, who knows you know, confidence plays a lot of stuff in athletics. And when you're, when you're physically competing against somebody else. So coming in with the confidence of having that three game winning streak early in the season, who knows what this team could be capable of pulling off. You know what I mean? So, um, 
But if you really, if you want to be a contrarian, you can also say, well, if they beat the Giants, maybe they go into Los Angeles a little full of themselves and get their butts kicked. Okay, got you. Um, so, so, <laughs> that's there, the so there was the beauty of football, right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but Coach Arians also had some other interesting things to say, not about James Winston, but this time about Ronald Jones. And Evan, James, and I have given our thoughts on the Ronald Jones benching from Jacksonville. I want to get your thoughts on those, but I also want to get your thoughts on what he said today, which is pretty much what James and I predicted. And and here's here's Arian's direct quote, which which is uh, I don't have any concerns with the running game right now. Rojo is still our our starter, and we'll get him going. Uh, I just reaffirmed to him that he's my guy, and hey, we're in the playoffs now. We can't have that. If you have that, you're standing next to me on the sideline. So Evan, what did you think on Sunday when Rojo got pulled, and what do you think following Bruce Arian's comments today? So starting with him getting pulled on Sunday, I understand. And it's one thing we've talked about all season long. You know, people continue to wonder why Daria Goombawale comes in um, in passing downs on third down or even in the goal line uh, or the red zone or goal line situations. And that's because Ronald Jones is still struggling with pass protection. And that's the exact same reason why he was benched last week. Arians alluded to, or even stayed, not alluded to it. He stated it in the post-game press conference. And that's one thing he also talked about during the offseason. He said Daria Goombawale is the second best pass protecting back on this team. So he's going to get snaps in that regard which we could argue all day long if Agumbawale and Jones, who's a more effective back, but at the end of the day, you've got to protect your quarterback. So I can kind of understand why the coaching staff is doing this. At the same time, it is so hard for me to understand why the hell can't Rojo become a better pass blocker? I mean, this is now two years. I realize it's two systems, but – I mean, my God, man, it's about reading defenses and picking up on who the free man is, who you think that it, it comes down to tape study, which makes me think he isn't preparing the way he should be. Now, regardless, I don't know. That's all speculation on my part. But at the end of the day, there is no reason why somebody should be struggling this much in their second year in the league with pass protection, especially to an undrafted free agent running back. Um, now, when it comes to so I can. So sorry, long answer short. Um I like the decision last week, and also I think the reason why he did that, Bruce Arians, is because I don't think Agumba Wale and Peyton Barmer are going to be here next year, and I think he wants Rojo to be able to step into that full-time role. So I think he's trying to train him for the future. Um, and then second off, yeah, I'm glad he's still the starter. I mean, he's the most dynamic back. Whenever he gets it, whenever he gets it going, he is the best playmaker back there in the backfield, and it's just as simple as that. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, Ronald Jones very obviously gives the team the most upside. Uh, this just kind of reaffirms what pretty much every I think what most people, at least from the media side of the house, where we're talking about the benching is that it was a lesson. It was it was a lesson being taught to a guy that Coach Arian sees more out of or more potential in than perhaps the other guys. And to your point, as far as you look at the entire running back stable, and Ronald Jones is the only one that you can look at and say with all certainty is going to be back in 2020. I still think there's a possibility the team tries to retain Peyton Barber, but I think a lot of that depends on Peyton Barber and if he thinks he deserves close to starter money or if not starter money um, or, you know, a starting role and he wants more of a commitment to him, then, you know, he's going to he's going to negotiate himself right out of Tampa and into another city. Um, and then as Dari, as far as Dari, as far as Dari is concerned, I don't know, man. I mean, if they offer him, I don't know what his, his contract situation is. Honestly, I think he's on. I think he's just on your contract for this year, but he's he's going to be cheap enough, so maybe we'll see him back. But either way, 
the running game is going to go where Ronald Jones takes it at this point in time. Exactly. Um, and so that's that's what they're and you you hear Coach Arians talk about we're in the playoffs. And James and I on this episode on this show have talked about playoff scenarios. I saw Greg Allman tweeting a, a nice long thread the other day about playoff scenarios. And bottom line, any I mean the uh, the the chances the Tampa Bay Buccaneers make the playoffs are already slim to none. But if they're going to have any chance, make no mistake about it, they have to win every single game. And so when you're talking about a must win, I mean, every game in the NFL is a must win anyway because losing a game in the NFL is akin to losing 10 Major League Baseball games or five NBA games. That's how important each and every week is in the NFL. So to come into the last quarter of the season, five and seven, you're you're well beyond must win. Like You don't have a choice. You must win and somebody else must lose. And right now that team is the Minnesota Vikings. Um, but again, so if you're if you're fighting for your life, literally, as far as this season is concerned, and I don't think Bruce Arians is sitting in one buck saying, ah, we'll see what happens next season. I think Bruce Arians is very much focused, trying to get this team focused to we must win to keep our playoff hopes alive. If their playoff hopes are dead in the water mathematically and realistically, then they can start talking about developing for next year. But he wants his players locked in like it's the playoffs because it is the playoffs. You lose, you go home. Um, at the end of the season. So I like it. Um, hopefully everybody else likes it, and I'm confident that we're going to see a better Rojo because of it. Uh, as far as why it's taken him two years, Evan, I have no idea. But I, I honestly would would argue that he probably spent most of this offseason trying to become a better running back and, and, and being a better back as someone who sees the field better because that's where I see his biggest increase this year over last year is and in, and in college to be honest with you is his ability to see the field and see the defense as a runner better so I think with all the time he probably spent in that aspect of his game honestly he probably just didn't have much more time to spend in the blocking that's not really a good answer but I think that's really the only one I can provide well, I mean, it makes sense, uh, you know, get better at what you know how to do best, and then the rest will kind of come with it. I'm, I, I I can see the logic in that. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's not a very fulfilling answer, but at least it makes sense. You know, I'm not just going to swat it away like some kind of fly or something like that. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, at the same time, you want to give your second-round pick the most opportunities to show what he can do, especially whenever you have two undrafted free agents on the roster, right? Most definitely. Well, Evan, we are going to talk a little bit of Colts, but before we get to that, we have a voicemail from Joe in Ocala, and he's talking about another Buccaneers player who's got a contract situation coming up. Hey, guys, Joe from Ocala. Uh, my question today is, uh, you know, I heard the, hey, guys, Joe from Ocala. Uh, my question today is, uh, you know, I heard the cooking with Mark Cook and the pewter cast talk about Shaq Barrett wants to come back to Tampa and he's willing to do a hometown discount. And, you know, you think, you know, they were talking with a number of $15 million, $14 million for him to come back to Tampa next year. Um, my question for you is if Sue and that's and you know JPP don't come back and you have to get some rookies or is Shaq Barrett going to be as good without those guys here? Um, let's see what you guys think about that because I, I I'm not sure he he looks like an amazing player. I don't know how much of that has to do with um, Sue and Vita taking up so much in the middle, you know, which is creating a lot of opportunities 
for him, and you know if he's worth that much money, I just I don't know. See what you guys' thoughts are about it. Go Bucks. So Evan, it just so happens that on Wednesday at BucksNation.com, you had a column go up that pretty much addressed a lot of what Joe is asking here. So uh, if if the Buccaneers shell out that dough and bring Shaq back to Tampa in 2020, what's going to happen? It's hard to say. It really is. Um, it all depends on, like he said, who returns, um, you know, who the Bucks draft, who they bring in free agent-wise, so on and so forth. Um, I believe Shaq would still be a very effective player. Um, would he be as good as a 14-and-a-half sack player or more without these players that he mentioned, especially when you bring up um, Sue and JPP? Is Nassib going to be back next year, or is this his last year? It was a two-year deal, right? He's, this is the final year of his current I about contract. To say, I thought, okay, I thought it was a two-year deal. Okay, so um, that's, that's a really good question, man. Um, I'm going to say no. He's not going to be a 14-and-a-half sack guy without this cast of characters. Um, him and Vita Vea, Levante, and Devin White all make up a very great core, a very good core. Um, but Levante and Devin White right now aren't have it, aren't what's making Shaq Barrett um, do what he's done, especially over the last two games. The last two games especially, it's been a collection, man. It's been mostly the secondary. The secondary has been locking it down, especially on short passes, which has allowed Shaq with his, to use his speed and get to the quarterback a lot quicker um, and finish the play. But also it's been, and Bruce Arians talked about this on Monday, it's been the play of Indomitian Sioux, Carl, uh, Carl Nassib, and Vita Vea. Um, those guys have all created opportunities not only for Shaq but for themselves and especially you could point right to the second sack for or Shaq's second sack in Jacksonville wow it's a lot of fun to say um you could point to that where Vea just absolutely destroys Andrew Norwell off the line of scrimmage and then Shaq he can't finish the play quite necessarily but also at the same time Carl Nassib causes Gardner Minshew to step up and then boom Shaq Barrett is right there at the same time Shaq Barrett is completely drawing the attention of uh, Cam Robinson and Leonard Fournette to the point where they don't even notice Vea destroying Norwell. So, I mean, man, it's just it's just all cause and effect right now. It's correlation. It's causation. It's whatever fancy C word you want to put behind it. Um, and I don't think – I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love to have Shaq back, ne- back next year. But if he does not return with this same group of characters or, or cast of characters, then – I don't think he'll be as an effective player. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's really going to be hard for Shaquille Barrett to come back in 2020, no matter where he lands, to be quite honest with you, and be as effective. And we see this a lot with, with quarterbacks. I mean, the, the Carolina Panthers are going through it right now with, with Kyle Allen. I mean, if you look at, you know, the Carolina Panthers going 4 and 0 in the beginning of Allen's time as their starting quarterback, replacing Cam Newton there for the injury, it, things were going really well. The problem is eventually NFL teams catch up because you put things on film, you put tendencies on films, you put habits on film, and now these professional coaches and these defenders who get to study you, they find out how to defeat you. We've seen Shaq Barrett kind of go up and down a little bit, and let's if, if we get to remember, he was kind of on a downward slope when JPP came back. And then JPP came back, that throws a new wrinkle in for opposing offense coordinators, offensive line coaches, and all that. So all those things do play a part. Now – that really just kind of what he can do in 2020 is he can still be a guy like 
teams are still going to game plan for him in 2020. Like I, like no matter where he lands, whether he's hit in Tampa Bay or anywhere else, he's teams are going to scheme for him in 2020 because of what he's done this year. That helps the defense in, in a plethora of other ways. So a guy like Todd Bowles can find a way to leverage that in a way that is benefiting Shaq this year for someone else. And if that starts to work, then, of course, it forces opposing offenses spread their attention and, and all that other stuff. And you have almost a similar type of, of scenario. But honestly, I feel like if they can come back with, with a trio of Vea, Shaq, and JPP, then I think the pass rush will be just fine. Will it be as explosive for you know for, for as, as the, the small periods of time and have like the six-sack games and all that stuff? I don't know. But you don't necessarily need the six sacks or the five sacks to have an effective defense. You just need the pressure. And even in the games where Shaq hasn't maybe gotten a sack or gotten as many sacks, he's still getting pressure. Even while the teams were starting the game plan for him, he was still getting pressure. He just wasn't necessarily getting home, which is what fans want to see. And then you add, if you add a rookie talent, and again, drafting is always a fun conversation when you talk about Jason Light and Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but if they can bring in a pass rushing specialist in the draft and you know on day two, early day three, who at least has the speed or the bend uh, and an ability to at least penetrate in man-to-man coverage you know, or uh, man-to-man matchups, win his matchup when given the opportunity, then it'll kind of help uh, spread some things out. I really feel like JPP wants to stay in Tampa. He already moved some money around. Granny's got a neck injury, so, I mean, all the leverage is with the Bucks. But I feel like if the Buccaneers needed to, maybe extend JPP a couple of years, spread some of that guaranteed money out to make the cap numbers work and all that. I feel like JPP is a guy who is going to do that for the team. Shaq's already said he'll take a hometown discount, which is which is amazing and, and great all by itself. Uh, obviously, Vita Vea is still here. And I think what Shaq realizes, if you remember earlier in the offseason, Evan, Shaq said he's been playing in a 3-4 his whole football life. Like every football team he's ever played for was a 3-4 defense. He's never played in a 3-4 like this one. I think he understands how unique Todd Bowles is as a coach. He understands that Todd Bowles is putting Shaquille Barrett in a position to be as successful as he's been. And he's been on the other side. He's been on the sideline, not on the game, in the crucial moments in the fourth quarter. He doesn't want to go back there. So I think Shaquille is excited enough to know he's about to get paid. But he's humble enough to understand that this can all go away just as fast as it happened. So he doesn't want to do that. And if he doesn't want to do that, that means he's going to do what's good for the team while still making a whole lot of money for his family. Um, so I think it's going to work out, man. I really, I really believe this team is going to be able to keep, they're going to keep Vea, obviously they're going to be able to keep Shaq and they're going to keep JPP. And as long as those three guys come back, I think the pass rush will be fine in 2020. Yeah, going back to that lull, I mean, three and a half sacks over six games, and that was after nine in the first four and three in the last two. So, yeah, it definitely seems like teams found a way to uh, limit Barrett, at least, from making some type of plays. And then um, I also believe, you know, like you said, he he wasn't getting home necessarily over those last few – or over those games. A lot of that has to do with the secondary, man. I mean, the secondary and Bruce mentioned it on Monday, they're, they are – squatting they are playing man i mean they are getting they are getting into it on these short passes that killed them earlier in the season and they're starting to you know anticipate routes a lot better and stuff which is helping him get that extra half second that he needs in order to make the play so it's been it's been a lot of fun to watch over the last couple weeks yeah that's that's an extremely valid point i mean 
you know, when it comes from defense, you always start in the trenches and then, you know, the, the trickle down effect kind of works back to a secondary, but there's a residual effect there from the secondary that can trickle on back down to the front. Because if you've, if you've got a pass rush that allows your secondary to be aggressive, but then you've also got a secondary that when the pass rush doesn't necessarily get home, can extend the, the coverage to force a quarterback to hold the ball a little bit longer. That then trickles back down and allows guys like Shaquille Barrett. Because uh, Shaquille Barrett, I'll tell you, like, uh, people can say anything you want about Shaquille Barrett, but one thing you're, you're probably never going to be able to say about Shaq Barrett is that he gives up on a play. Oh, like, hell no. <laughs> as long as that quarterback is standing there, like, I don't, like if Shaquille Barrett is laying on his stomach, he will, he will use his fingertips and tippy toes to crawl towards that quarterback to try to make contact before that ball's out of the hand. So, uh, he'll use the, he'll use his tongue if he has to. He'll bounce <laughs> off the <his> tongue. <laughs> there you go. So I mean, so yeah, as the secondary gets better, and you know, uh, another year, maybe a veteran presence, maybe a, a rookie, uh, you know, a, a talented guy like a, a Delpit or, or a, a Cuda from Ohio State, whoever comes in there and makes them even more uh, effective. That that all helps as well. So and even I mean, three and a half sacks over six games, man. I mean. You multiply that out by three. It's still good. Know it's, it's still 18. good. Yeah. You're still looking at about a 10-sack season. Right, that's the right, right. I mean, okay, like, are, are we going to cut the dude because he only got 10 sacks? I mean, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> I know that's not what you're saying, Joe. I'm just – you know what I mean? Right, I think right. he'll be okay. You know, once you start getting paid, like, near top dollar, it's hard to ever justify getting paid near top dollar. It's just – that's just the business. You know what I mean? Well, and the expectations rise, too. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, so it's just natural. That's what I'm saying, like – I don't think he'd be 14 and a half sacks. I think you're like you said about 10, maybe 12 sacks a year, something like that, which I would be more than happy with that. More than happy. Oh, most definitely. Um, all right, Evan. So we're already pushing the time, but let but real quick, uh, we fortunately uh, gave you some time to prep this before we recorded tonight. Uh, give me three keys to the win to winning against the Indianapolis Colts. And then, like I told you, I'm going to call one, the skeleton key. That's one I want last. And essentially your skeleton key is going to be, this is the key that's got to work. This is the door they've got to get through or they're not going to win this game. All right, so I'll make it quick for you. So we'll start with the three keys. Um, number one are mistakes. Uh, Tampa Bay cannot have these stupid penalties. They cannot have the turnovers. I know they've been better about the turnovers. They haven't been better about the penalties, though. Um, they they cannot make those type of mistakes. The co- The Colts – Yes, they might be lacking on talent right now. Marlon Mack actually had a limited practice today, so it looks like he might be back this week. I don't know about T.Y. Hilton, um, but they're a very well-coached team, and well-coached teams are not going to make mistakes. They made a couple of mistakes against the Titans. I will throw that in last week, um, but overall, they're going to look to correct those mistakes, and so Tampa Bay cannot make more mistakes than the Colts. Uh, second are special teams. Oh, my God, y'all are going to hate on me so much for this. But one of the reasons why the Titans won the game last week is because they blocked a field goal and returned it for a touchdown against the Colts. That was actually a field goal attempt that would have put the Colts up by three points in that game. So that was a 10-point swing, and that was huge. Tampa Bay has looked a lot better over the last few weeks on special teams, especially when you talk about TJ Logan returning punts, um, and especially when it comes to Matt Gay kicking field goals. But at the same time, they're going to have to win. And even if they can make a play on special teams, that's been the key to beating the Colts so far this year. I believe Miami had a big play on special teams um, as well whenever they beat them earlier in the year. The third is defend the play action and the bootlegs. Um, The Colts love to run this stuff, and it is especially – easy for an opposing defense to buy into the fact that they're running the ball because they love to run the ball so damn much. Um, so, I mean, as soon as 
they see it. as soon as an opposing defense sees a, the Colts guard, whether it be Quentin Nelson or the other cat on the other side, I can't think of his name right off the top of my head. As soon as they see them pull or as soon as they see the, the offensive line take a step forward, as in a run, uh, a run block scheme, whatever it be, gap or zone, whatever, um, it's natural for the defense to think that they're running the ball. And that's whenever a Jack Doyle can get loose or a Zach Pascal, who is going to be huge guarding this week. Um, he's not mm-hmm. your most talented receiver, but he is tech- he is sound in his technique and he knows how to pick apart a defense, especially in zone. So those are my three keys. The skeleton key though, and this can exemplify a lot of things. It can it can be a lot of things. It can, but I, and I'm going on both sides of the ball here. Um, it's win the trenches. That's mm-hmm. where the Colts make their hay. Obviously, Quentin Nelson. You've got Ryan Kelly at center. You've got Costanzo out there. Um, and I can't think of the other two cats right off the top of my head. But and then on the other side of the ball, you've got. Um, if you, oh man, what's his name? He's got two last names. I can't think of his name. Either way, but you've got to win the trenches, and you got Justin Houston on the edge. You've got to win the, tr- the trenches against this team. Um, if you shut down the run, and if you can get interior push against the Colts, then you're going to win this game. Um, and on the defensive side of the ball, if you can control the tackles and get some kind of edge rush and make force Brissett to step up and not go mm-hmm. side to side, then you're going to win the game. My favorite matchup. And this is what I'm going to be watching. I don't care about what else is going on during the game. I'm going to be watching Vita Vea versus Quilt Nelson, man. I cannot yeah. wait to see what happens there. Yeah, I can't. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be fun. I think I have a feeling that my Know Your Enemy this weekend is going to be Quentin Nelson. The X Factor is going to be Vita just because I'm, I'm on board. I think everybody's pretty much on board. That's the matchup to watch uh, in this game. And I can't disagree with any of your keys, and, and, and especially your skeleton key. I mean, I, I'm getting, getting this Colts offense. Uh, off schedule and, and behind the chains is going to be so important in forcing Jacoby Brissett to throw the ball in known passing down situations, allowing that pass rush to pin their ears back and really get after it is is really going to be important and play a big part of this whole thing, I think, no matter whether or not a guy like T.Y. Hilton is, is healthy, which I don't think he will be, or a guy like Paris Campbell's there, or even Marlon Mack. And it starts with the running game, whether it's Marlon or whether it's any of the other guys. If you can stop that first down run for no gain, a loss, maybe a one-yard gain, you're automatically putting them off schedule. You're taking them off schedule. You're forcing them to lean on Jacoby more than they probably want to right now. He hasn't looked very comfortable uh, as of late. So making him even more uncomfortable on the road, uh, it, 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 that's definitely going to be the area to watch. So, uh, Evan, we're going to get out of here. Uh, all the listeners, of course, we, we appreciate you guys listening. All the Bucks Nation readers as well. We appreciate you guys reading. This episode has been brought to you by Away, who creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash locked on. Use a promo code locked on during checkout. If you're listening on the go, you can visit Away right now. You can find Or you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. James and I will be back tomorrow for our final game preview. Uh, Usually Evan gives a score prediction because I forced him to do so, even though it's Wednesday night. We literally have the initial injury reports, which almost mean nothing. But I've decided to stop forcing him to do so. However, (laughs) if you want to know what Evan thinks about how this game is going to turn out, hit BucksNation.com as as we get closer to the game. We have a staff collective prediction uh, post that goes up that Gil Arcia, our site manager, puts up uh, before the game every weekend. That's where you can see Evan's predictions, uh, my prediction, James Bailey, everybody's. Um, but for those of you who joined us tomorrow, you'll hear James and I on the air here at Locked on Bucks giving ours. 
Uh, until then, have a very safe and pleasant Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening, whenever you're listening to this. And thank you so much for joining us right here at Lockdown Ball. Let's go.